really glad to have Ali Utley here preaching. Um, and Ali's going to come and say a word of introduction before Ralph uh, offers us this morning's scripture. Ali. Thanks so much, Scott, for having me. This morning, we're going to read about St. Matthias uh, in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. You might also think of it as the uh, labor of the apostles. St. Matthias is only mentioned once in scripture, and Matthias is the person that was chosen to replace Judas. So there's a lot of different accounts about how Judas may have died, and I want to give you a heads up that the account that we're going to read this morning is a little bit graphic, uh, but the main thrust of the scripture this morning is that Judas has died and uh, that Judas needs to be replaced. So listen now to a reading from the book of Acts. Listen for the word of God. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their language, Akeldaba, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who also was known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And then they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Matthias had been with the disciples all along. The scripture tells us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up, Matthias was there. And so Matthias meets the qualifications to fill this apostolic vacancy. Matthias was one of the number and shared in their ministry. But I wonder, at what point did Matthias feel like he belonged? 
was it when he first met this group of Jesus followers, did he just stumble upon the movement and he knew like a gut feeling that these were his people? Or was it when he started doing the work of discipleship? Was it the doing that made him feel integral to the movement? Maybe Matthias felt a sense of belonging when he was finally seen by Peter in the assembly as a viable candidate to replace Judas. Did Matthias feel like he was on the margins of the community right up until the point that he was chosen to be one of the 12? Or did Matthias struggle with something of an imposter syndrome, never feeling like he really belonged to the way of Jesus Christ? This question about belonging doesn't come from exegesis of the text so much. There's not actually a lot of information about this text and about St. Matthias. Uh, but this question of belonging comes to me out of historical knowledge of the church, out of experience of the church. And to be really honest, I've been listening to a lot of Brene Brown. So in an interview with Krista Tippett, Brene Brown talks about our capacity for, longing, for belonging. Our belonging to each other, she says, cannot be lost, but it can be forgotten. Her research confirms what we probably know too well, that folks today feel disconnected and isolated. And this episode was recorded prior to the pandemic. Driven by trauma and fear, we sort ourselves into communities of likeness, unable to tolerate pain, discomfort, vulnerability. Many have disconnected from themselves, put up armor, to protect themselves from some kind of perceived other. When we're lonely or afraid, when we've lost sight of who we are, we can forget that we belong. And in the story of Matthias, I see a situation in which forgetting seems quite plausible. See, Matthias has been doing the work of discipleship for a long time. And now Jesus is gone. Judas is dead, the future is uncertain, and now this is when Matthias is confirmed with a title. Now Matthias is essential, and I wonder when the lots were cast, did Matthias feel like he had won the lottery, or did he feel like he had drawn the short straw? The church, this group of disciples, we can often with good intention make it hard for people to feel like they belong. Take, for example, the way Peter came up with this short list of apostolic candidates. It had to be someone who had been with Jesus all along, and presumably someone who is male. And that turns out to be a really short list. And though the qualification makes a lot of sense, you know, the husband-Jesus with part, not the sexist part, uh, this list of qualifications does contribute to the homogeny, the likeness of this inner circle. The rules are limiting. And not even the Apostle Paul would have made Peter's short list. One preacher says that the disciples may have chosen Matthias, but that the Spirit of God chose Paul. The rules and the structures that help us maintain order can also be things that keep people from a sense of belonging. Rules and structures can be good things. I mean, 12 is a good biblical number, Governing boards can be effective, but the things that help can be things that hurt. 
well-intentioned structures and systems can be exceedingly harmful in our church and as we know in our society. The good biblical news is that our belonging doesn't depend on who we hang around or the work that we do or our titles or our ordinations. Our belonging, thank God, doesn't even rely on our sense of it. We have the capacity for belonging. To use the language of the gospel, we have the capacity to abide, to abide in God. So what does it mean to live into this capacity in ourselves, in our institutions? What does it look like? How do we cultivate belonging? And how do we make everyone feel essential? Brene Brown goes on in the interview to say that belonging is a spiritual practice. The spiritual practice of believing in ourselves and belonging to ourselves. Now this gets a little complicated, but I think it's really important. So there's a connection between authenticity and belonging. Authenticity, being our true selves, enables us to be fully in communion with others and to find the sacred in community. Paradoxically, which means this is the confusing part, it is in authenticity in being truly ourselves, belonging to ourselves, believing in ourselves. It's in this authenticity that we find the strength to sometimes stand alone. And this is a direct quote from Brene Brown. True belonging, she says, is a type of belonging that never requires us to be inauthentic or change who we are, but a type of belonging that demands who we are that we be who we are, even when we jeopardize connection with other people. I think what she's saying here is that authenticity, living faithfully, you know, that's the thing that helps us stay home when it seems like everyone else is out socializing and shopping. Authenticity is what helps us go to a Black Lives Matter protest, even if it means being ostracized from friends and family. When we do these things, we find true belonging. We find sacred community even when we are alone. The gospel, according to Brene Brown, is that when we are so worried about belonging that we forget who we are and whose we are, that's when we feel isolated or alone. But when we live as who we were created to be and when we do what we are created to do, we cultivate and nurture belonging. Matthias was created to be a witness to the resurrection, as are we. What a strange and wondrous vocation called to be a witness to the resurrection. We witness through our words and actions, through our rules and structures. We witness through collective experiences of joy and pain. We witness through our work and our worship. And I think part of what draws us into this vocation, this work, is the desire to belong, to belong to something bigger and greater than us. We often fall into this trap, right? We think that the rules and the structures 
will help us feel like we belong because they, they, they uh, create clear boundaries. They create limits for who's in and who is out. But God has a different way. The life of discipleship begins with the fundamental truth that everyone's in the circle, that we fundamentally already belong. I want to go back to Brene one more time. She says that the heart of belonging is spirituality. It's a deeply held belief that we are inextricably connected to each other by something greater than us. For me, those are words of comfort, words of wisdom, maybe words of caution. We are inextricably connected to each other. We belong. And so the things that we do and the things that we say and the things that we feel have an impact on the people around us. So I learned about Elise Boulding's 200-year present, present as in past, present, future, from one of Scott's sermons before the pandemic. Uh, and I think it's really relevant to the text today, to thinking about generations of disciples, the work we do and the connections to one another. You may remember this exercise. You think of the oldest person that has held you, calculate back to their birthday. So mine is my granddaddy, my great-grandfather, who was born in 1895. And then think about the youngest member of your extended family and imagine their life to what decade they might live. As Scott said, we are held and touched. We will touch the lives of people that cover a 200-year present. Just another way of illustrating that we belong, that we are connected to each other by something greater than us. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And we can struggle to see the fruits of this earth in ourselves and in others. And it was actually in a time of personal struggle that my niece was born, the youngest member of my extended family. And I did, I imagined her life unfolding and I felt a renewed sense of hope and responsibility because I'm hopeful for and responsible for the world in which she will grow up. Part of our work, part of our witnessing is making the world a better place for everyone. In theological language, we want to be the hands and feet of Christ. We want to embody, we want to be the kingdom of God here on earth. We work toward justice and peace. And in doing so, we cultivate a sense of belonging for ourselves and for others. 18th century poet Robert Burns, who is in part known for his rebellion against re uh, rigid religious structures and systems, Burns said, dare to be honest and fear no labor. We cannot be afraid of doing the work of the kingdom. It will require authenticity. It will require us to remember who we are and to whom we belong. We are children of the living God. We are disciples. We are witnesses to the resurrection. We are inextricably connected. We are the present. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are fighters for justice. We are peacemakers. Friends, we are essential. We belong.
Thanks be to God.